0: This is 20 Questions on Deadline, and I'm Antonia Blythe, Senior Awards Editor. My guest this week is Rob Lowe. He began his career at 15, starting with TV roles. Then in 1983, he shot to massive fame with Francis Ford Coppola's film, The Outsiders, and then films like Oxford Blues, St. Elmo's Fire, and About Last Night. He and his childhood friend Emilio Estevez grew up close to each other in Malibu and became part of the Brat Pack. Later, he would play opposite Emilio's dad, Martin Sheen, in the West Wing, in a career trajectory that included multiple turns on the stage and screen, an Emmy nomination, two SAG Award wins, and multiple Golden Globe nominations. Lowe is currently starring in the Netflix film, Dog Gone, based on the true story of the search for a lost dog on the Appalachian Trail, And he is in the Netflix comedy series Unstable, playing an eccentric biotech entrepreneur whose introverted son tries to save him and his company from going under. His son is played by John Owen, Lowe's son in real life. And along with Victor Fresco, they co-created, wrote and executive produced the show. Lowe is also the author of his memoir, Stories I Only Tell My Friends and Love Life. And he has two podcasts, Literally with Rob Lowe and Parks and Recollection, a recap show about the TV series he starred in, Parks and Recreation. All right, Rob Lowe, welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. Good to be here. It is so funny being here in front of you because I, on the way here, was listening to your audio book, Love Life, which I've read. And Thank I'm you. I'm a huge fan of your first memoir, Stories I Only Tell My Friends. Thank you. And I remember, I think the last time I saw you in person was for a press event for Brothers and Sisters. So. It's a long time ago. Probably 10 years. Yeah. I love that show, by the Thank way. Thank you. Huge fan. Thank you. It was a fun one. Yeah. Um, and back then, you and I had a conversation. I sort of, I don't know, strong-armed you into this conversation because <laughs> I was obsessed with part of your memoir, which told stories of Malibu. Mm. That era, early 80s.
1: I'm trying, as we speak, to to develop a, a, a mini-series around it, sort of euphoria meets l- licorice pizza.
0: I am so excited to hear that because yeah, no, 10 years it, ago we talked about it. I it's, remember.
1: I've been trying to crack it off and on since I wrote about it in the book because, A, I'm obsessed with it, that's why I wrote about it, and, B, people like you who of all of the things that I cover in the book, and there's a lot of a lot. juicy subjects, keep coming back to that time of the mid to late 70s in Malibu because it was a place and time unlike anything other. And um, I am definitely one day going to figure this out. I There have been a lot of fitful starts and stops and ideas that – I didn't feel were right because, you know, you only have one shot at it. And I know it really is maybe, I don't know if it's the one thing I was meant to do, but it's certainly one of them.
0: There's something about that story that, obviously, as you've said, it, it resonated with a lot of people. I still think about it now. I regularly tell people, you've got to read this book. And I'm not just blowing smoke. There's something really magical about this idea of these surfer kids, but they're kind of living a feral life. And you called it the Lost Boys of Malibu because these boys, quite a few of them, would weirdly disappear.
1: A lot of them were lost. I was just this weekend reuniting with my oldest friend from Malibu. We met when we were thirteen. Um, over the years, we've gone our onto separate ways and separate lives. We were just together this weekend, recounting the people that we lost in ways that if i told you you would think we're insane horrible dark ins- like it would be international news mm. today what was going on there mm. and under the sunny gauzy california blue sky it was un it was it was a, just the most insane dichotomy so insane that as time goes by and all i have are my memories i begin to doubt them
0: I mean, that's interesting because, you know, the idea of memory is fascinating in and of itself Mm -hmm. because, you know, nobody remembers the same thing the same way. Right. But there's some incontrovertible facts that there were these teenage boys and we have no clue where they went. And no one seemed to sort of say much about it at the time. The way you tell the story, it's like, well... A lot of people were unsupervised. I mean, we all joke about growing up in the 70s, yeah. like our parents were smoking cigarettes with all the windows closed, you know.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, my memory of it is that I never, I never saw anyone's parents ever. Mm. And the ones that I do, I remember very, very vividly. But it's a completely different situation than, than what my kids were brought up with. I mean, yeah. we would, you know, they would just let us. I took the, the bus
0: to your auditions in Hollywood. In Hollywood. How many hours? That's like two-hour bus ride. So
1: it's from... People who understand Malibu will know it was from Point Doom, which, by the way, in those days, there were no studio executives out there. There were right. no finance people. There were no agents. There were working class, like firemen, policemen, teachers, maybe some doctors, and then the odd burnt out, you know, refugee actor or musician.
0: And... There's even like a, a leftover now. You can still see it. At the supermarket, there's a hitching post. Is it horse. still there? Yeah, for horses.
1: Yeah, that was that, – you would ride your horse to the market. It was magical and, and scary and frightening and all those things. But, yeah, the notion that my parents would let a 11-year-old – go take the bus from Point Doom, Santa Monica, get off that bus, take one from Santa Monica to Beverly Hills, get off that bus, take the Beverly Hills bus to downtown L.A. and 6th Street to stand in line to get tickets for the Dodger World Series and then come back. It's just it's insane. It's insanity.
0: But what a life.
1: Yes. (laughs) I mean, I, I feel bad for our kids today. Yeah. I do. I really do.
0: Yeah. I do too. I mean, there's none of that you know, go out and come back at sundown. That's not a thing. No. So you spoke about your kids. Obviously, your son, John Owen, is partly the topic of today's discussion.
1: Oh, yes, yes he is.
0: I love the show, Unstable, because it's really an opportunity for you to, to showcase your dynamic. So. Thank you. I'm curious. You had this kind of like back and forth on social media that had become like a, a comedic That's thing. what started it. Tell me the story. Well,
1: my boys and I, Matthew is my other son, um, who is uh, an attorney and in finance now. He, he got a real job.
0: Um, <laughs> like no one else in L.A. <laughs>
1: that's right. He, uh, he, they, we've all, we've always been super close. Which isn't to say that I was like the best friend dad, because I don't believe in that. I, 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 I don't believe in that. I think they. Neither do
0: I. It's kind no, of toxic. No, it's, it's,
1: I think it's toxic and weird, frankly. It is. They, they have best friends. They don't need you to be their best friend. That said, we were as close as we can be. And, um, you know, they would always give me grief, always, kind of, you know, just like you do with friends. Um, John Owen took it to a new level. And it got to the point where his trolling of my online presence was so egregious that I couldn't do an interview anywhere, whether it was Ellen Show or Seth Meyers or Good Morning America or you name it, without them going, what we really want to talk about is your son. He just roasts you and or all the comments on any of my posts would literally be, I'm just here waiting for John Owen's comment. So the one that I really remember that that I think started it was I had, and I swear in a stack of Bibles, innocently taken a picture of myself working out in my gym. Now, and what I didn't realize was the wall behind me as John Owen points out, ah, the casual art of posing in front of your wall of Emmy nominations. And I was like, you little bastard. I, I, I didn't even think of I wasn't even thinking of that. So that's kind of the, the, the tone of it. But it got to be such a thing that we started thinking, is there, it's really rare when the audience or the media or whatever says to you, oh, we'd like more of this, please. I mean, and when they do, you should listen. So the question became what, what do we do about this? People like this dynamic, and and can we build a world where we could flesh it out? And that that was the impetus for Unstable.
0: I listened to a podcast with John Owen, and he oh was, boy, oh yeah, oh boy, he was talking about um, when you first got to set. You there's a scene you had to shoot where his character is really exasperated with his on-screen dad, who's pretty eccentric. And John Emmons playing an introvert, so you can imagine yeah. in your head like how how the frustration has to be real. Uh, but what you did was you told him he wasn't on his mark mm-hmm. multiple times, mm-hmm. and he insists that he was. But by the time you rolled, you he was genuinely so pissed Except- off. Yes, and then he was like, okay. I see what you did there. That was smart. Yeah, I,
1: I listen. I picked up a few tricks along the way.
0: That's like a psychoanalytical mastermind move, Yeah. Yeah, set him into that. You know.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, the 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 notion of working with your son in a semi-autobiographical show that you've co-created and is is a very odd meta overused word. But this is, if you're ever going to use the word, this is when you use it.
0: It's fully meta. It's
1: fully meta. And there are moments where I, I feel like it's some of the work as an actor that I'm most proud of because... I'm carrying the, having to carry the comedic water, and yet it's so real, and it's so real because I'm talking to my son.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's different.
1: There's really not, any, not anything out there like it for, for a few reasons. One is the shows that share its DNA, people aren't making anymore. Arrested Development, 30 Rock, Um, Parks and Rec, Office, um, a little bit of Veep maybe thrown in for good measure. But but really the closest thing you have to an out-and-out comedy out there at all is Ted Lasso, and that's more emotion-driven than comedy-driven.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: I mean, we live in a time of quote-unquote edgy comedy, dramedy, dark comedy, and comedy that isn't comedy. And... I never thought it would be groundbreaking to make a good-natured, light-on-its-feet, heartfelt, laugh-out-loud show, but here we are.
0: Well, I love it. And you know what else I thought of is Abbott Elementary. That's a great example of great comedy right now. Yeah. Um, I had Cheryl Lee Ralph on the other day, so Mm. I'm a fan. She's great. Um, so, are you ready to get into the twenty questions? Oh yes, oh right. yes.
1: I love a good test. <laughs> is there a way to pass or fail it, or can I get a good grade? Or is it is it the modern day school where there's no grades? It's just okay. I don't believe in no grades.
0: And actually, that makes me think of your story of being the uh, basketball coach, or was it softball? It's basketball, basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had I I the novel. Out.
1: Yeah, I, I was removed. The school got rid of me as the basketball coach because we won the league and um there were there were and that if kids didn't play hard for me I sat them
0: right and the mummies didn't like did that they did not like that can <laughs> you imagine if you're if you're
1: a you're a mother and i'm your kids coach i really have to be fucking up <laughs> for them to not like me i i mean look i'm self aware enough to realize that
0: it is so bizarre that they all banded together and gave you the boot don't you think?
1: Well, well, you know, and you know what, what sent it over the edge was when I bought trophies for the kids that had won the league.
0: Oh, I remember this. When I, that's yeah. what
1: set it to a head mm-hmm. is I wanted those kids to have somebody to remember it by. And they were like, well, what about the losing kids? And I said, what about them? They wear their trophies. And I, ha- I had to buy trophies for the losing kids as well. Mad. The world's gone mad.
0: The world has gone mad. And to that end, there will not be a prize for every I want a trophy no
1: matter what happens going forward in this interview. Uh,
0: What can we give you? A bag of chips, maybe, we could find. Oh, that
1: and a bag of chips.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you eat chips, even. uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Glad to hear it. I do it all. Good. Bring on the carbs. Mm. Right. Um, Okay. First of all, do you remember the day, moment, inspiration in your life to do what you do?
1: Absolutely. Um, It's almost, it's a cliched moment where I was brought to a neighborhood theater in in Dayton, Ohio, where I grew up. I was eight years old. It was a neighborhood production of Oliver. There were the little... Whatever the ragamuffin kids or the artful Dodger kids, whatever they were in it. And they were kids my age. And I saw them on stage. And it was literally like, (laughs) oh, and like the light hit me, beam of light. And it's kind of disturbing to recount it because it makes me sound like a psycho. But I knew in my DNA that not only was that what I wanted to do, but it's what I would do. So it, it was the, you know, the, the blessing of ignorance and, and the gift of passion all at once.
0: I don't think you sound like a psycho. You'd be shocked the amount of people that say something similar to me really? when I ask that question. Good. Good. Yeah. Because intent and self-belief is everything, you know.
1: Oh, I've had multiple things that I foresaw happen mm. to me that did, for sure.
0: Do you believe in a kind of divination or a manifestation? What do you think is going on there? It's both. Mm.
1: You know, I think it's a, it's a weird alchemy that we will never be able to understand.
0: It's beyond quantum mechanics and oh, something metaphysical. I, I
1: will go down any wormhole in this realm of talk that you are willing to open.
0: Oh, I am down, but we could be here for a long. Time. I
1: know we could, and <laughs> and that's actually that that's actually my journey now is and what my interests are, are figuring all of that, all of that out and, you know, in my fifth decade or sixth, it might be even my sixth of this business, what do I want to do? And, and what I want to do is give more of myself um, and figuring out what that means, because there are a lot of actors out there, a lot of them are better than me. But there's only one me. Right. So how, what is it that is me giving of myself? And, you know, a lot of that is why I like the podcast. It's all me. books,
0: Literally with Rob Lowe.
1: Yeah, the books. I'm doing a one-man show. and Well, I have a one-man show that I've been doing for a few years. COVID took me out of circulation, but I'm back in Vegas um, this month. No, no, in June.
0: What date? Do you know? Uh,
1: we'll put them in. We'll ask them, right? Okay, yep. Don't forget, we've got to put the dates in. Um, at the Venetian. By the way, whenever I say I'm playing Vegas, it makes me really happy. It makes me feel like I'm like I'm like Elvis. I mean, not, Sinatra. Everybody, not everybody gets to say they're playing Vegas.
0: I mean, it is Elvis level. And and it's,
1: you know, it's it's me. What we do is so collaborative on any given day that it's not that I want to work alone. I'm not saying that, but I'm trying to to give – as much of what makes me me as I, as, as I can in anything mm. I'm doing.
0: Maybe that is the meaning of life.
1: I no? think it, it certainly would be one of them, for sure.
0: So one of my questions is, who is your hero currently? Mm. And I have to say, although that's a big question. So hard. It does make me think of the story you told in Love Life about Warren Beatty. Ooh, wow, well, yeah. And how, well, I'll let you explain.
1: Well, wow, it's a long story. Um, but I mean, he would be, he would be one of my heroes, but a guy like Warren Beatty wouldn't exist today.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, for any number, for count the reasons. Right. Actually, everything that made Warren Beatty would work against Warren Beatty today.
0: The name quali- man, name a, a quality, name a and I
1: can't, ladies, man, nobody likes that anymore. Yeah, that's true. And um, the notion of being out of the public eye completely until they have a movie out every 10 years.
0: Wouldn't happen now. No,
1: no, no. So that kind of an icon, that kind of a – is over. And yet it's people like, you know, Warren and, you know, Maybe I followed some of it maybe a little too much in my youth. But, you know, it's like those are the people that shaped who I was. You wanted to be Jack Nicholson.
0: Absolutely. You wanted to be Warren. Yeah.
1: You know, you wanted to be those. guys. You know, I was always going to be one of the, the L.A. guys. I was never going to be one of the New York guys.
0: You know, the hero part of the story, just for our listeners, is that Warren Beatty kindly, carefully informed you that he was, in fact, sleeping with your girlfriend.
1: It's such a good story that I absolutely refuse to readers readers digest it. You do, I am really sorry. You, you, you just for have readers to,
0: digesting it. You,
1: no, 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 no. I understand it's your podcast. You you do what you are, but it, it it's it's an amazing story.
0: It is. It's, it's amazing. It's, build up, and it's, it's one of those so stories. Sad. By the
1: way, it's one of those stories that as time goes by, that I doubt that it happened because it's so insane. But I
0: know that it did. Do you ever have things like that? Like oh, absolutely. You go wait a minute. Did that.
1: That's one of them.
0: It's crazy. Everyone has to listen to this audiobook, read the book, but the audiobook is read by you, so that's why it's extra Oh, my God.
1: Warren Beatty in his all-white clothes and his bare Mulholland modern house with his Reds Oscar on the mantle and my girlfriend up in the kitchen and I'm downstairs in the screening room waiting for them to, quote-unquote, get their ice cream and we're watching a Burt Reynolds double feature. Come on. Come on. It's really hard not to laugh a lot at the moment. If you're not down for that story, I'm sorry. I'm getting out of the storytelling business. (laughs) Okay. My favorite part was he he made me sit, to throw me off the scent, he had me sit with him, and he would lean over to me and go, "Mm, yes, oh, see that? That's very interesting. Mm, Oh, yes, Mm. ooh, see there, and I'm like, I'm sitting with the master. This man just won the Oscar for Reds and we're watching a Burt Reynolds double feature and he's educating me and he turns to me, goes, do you see that shot? Mm. He's using a lot of long lenses. And I thought, my God, how does he know? I knew, I knew so nothing. Like the, the notion that Warren knew what a lens was by watching a shot blew my mind. That's how green I was.
0: But it was the ultimate bait and switch. Yeah. It Uh, was, oh, look over here at this shiny thing (laughs) (laughs) while I'm with your girlfriend. But he took pity on me. He let me know. Eventually, yes. yes. he did. Which I give him credit for. He didn't need to.
1: Frank Sinatra's involved in the story.
0: Natalie Wood is involved in the story. There's so many gems.
1: There's so many. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one story in the book that I almost didn't put in. Why? that is the one because I didn't I, I was worried how people might you could you could look there's a, a, a version of, of the story where maybe people don't think well of Warren in it and I don't mean that. I, I, I'm obsessed with Warren I, I, he remains a hero and I, I totally get where he was coming from I, I, I understand all of it and I have no ill will but I was worried that people would think that I had ill will with it and I almost didn't put it in but I'm super glad I did
0: That doesn't come across that you had ill will. Yeah, no, and I didn't. Jovial, you know, when you tell the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I've had a president of the United States put his arm around my wife and lead her down a darkened hallway in the West Wing, and I'm like, I might be, I guess I could be okay with this, maybe. I mean, you know, come
0: on, might be cool. I don't know, could it? Did that bring back memories, shooting that? I know.
1: This uh. is the podcast that's going to get me in a lot of trouble. A
0: lot of trouble. Okay, have you ever been starstruck?
1: Oh, many times. Many, many, many times. What
0: was the most intense?
1: Um, sitting next to Mick Jagger at a very intimate dinner.
0: Wow. What was that like?
1: amazing he was he's by far the most charming person that i i've charismatic however you want to say it that i've ever been around um when he wants to, you know when he when he bats his eyes at you male or female do you know what i mean he gives you that coquettish vibe, you know what i mean you're like i might do it
0: <laughs> i might
1: do you know, so um you know what i mean he was i mean you just so and you're like that's mick fucking jagger man um
0: what did you talk about?
1: I don't really remember. Mick was one, um meeting Robert Redford was another. Oh, where, yeah. But that's one where I'm so stunned and tongue tied. But it was great because I'd never met him and we'd had a lot of close calls of meeting. I've had movies at Sundance early on when he was really hands on. And we just, just never happened. And you know, he and Paul Newman are the guys that, that they're there why I became actors those two and um they were who i aspired to be and i'm like anyway so i'd never met him and i was walking into the golden globes one year and i had the pleasure of being nominated and he was nominated and i I took a moment which is really important to do to reflect and go it's come to this how fucking cool is this. right? And he was in the middle of doing press and I just walked up to him and I tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, I am not letting this moment get by me. I don't know if i ever see him again. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I was like, I just want to tell you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need to tell you how much you've meant to me. I need you to know how, that you're the man. And and it's like you want to those people to know. You want them to know what they've meant to you. And there's nothing I love more than giving it up for my heroes. It makes my day. And they don't have to be old timers. They can be, I remember watching Whiplash. Oh, when that came out And going, uh, this kid, Miles Teller, I need, to, I need to talk to him. I need to find him. I need to talk to him. And you just tell him how oh, his performances changed my life. And you did? It did. And I, and I love doing that. Mm. I, lo- I love reaching out to people who, who can still reach me through the 17 levels of jadedness that I've accumulated over the years in Hollywood.
0: How does one not become jaded? There's a question. Right, yeah. Um, okay. What were the posters on your childhood bedroom ooh, walls?
1: Ooh, this tells you everything you need to know about me. Okay. The one sheets from, the actual one sheets from the theater of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wow. All the President's Men. And the famous Farrah Fawcett poster.
0: Oh, in the red swimsuit. Yep. Amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: Those are my three. Let me tell you everything you need to know <laughs> about me.
0: It really is great. Uh, who is your dream dinner companion, living or dead? Mm, that's such a hard one. I know.
1: I mean, it's really a hard one. <sighs> oh, man. cheese. Dream dinner companions. I mean, uh, I'd like to talk to JFK.
0: Hmm. Good choice.
1: That'd be a good one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, he would be the only one in that sort of martyred icon world. I think. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so then I would want to think about oh, Iron Rand.
0: Oh, okay. For the sure. Fountainhead.
1: For sure. I'd Mm. love to talk to her. Mm. I'm an Atlas Shrugged guy. You're either a Fountainhead person or an Atlas Shrugged person or neither (laughs) of the two. Yeah. There's three categories. Right. People are vehemently in one of the three. I'm vehemently in the Atlas Shrugged. Um, Okay, so we've got two.
0: That's pretty good. Okay, we'll let you off the hook.
1: Yeah, those are pretty good. I, 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 I endorse those.
0: What is one of your favorite memories?
1: I have so many of them. I'm so, and that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I work hard at memories. I work at it. I work at making them. Um, I take time out for them. I chase them. Um, inevitably you're like, Oh, do I really want to fill in the blank? Do I want to go to the fill in the blank? Do I want to see the film? And then nine times out of 10, you're so glad you did. And when people, I'm probably jumping ahead to when were you at your happiest?
0: That is coming,
1: but it's the same question, really, right, for me. And I always remember I had just done a Stephen King, an adaptation of um, Salem's, Salem's Lot. Lot, yeah, which I really love. Turned out great, mm. and we'd been I'd been on location for a month. It was the longest I'd ever been away from the family. It was in Australia, and the kids were just in school as long as I've ever been away from them. And I rapped and flew to where we met, and we met at Bora Bora, and I pulled up on the boat. They were already there holding up signs for Daddy. And for sure, without a doubt, that was the happiest I've ever been. For sure.
0: That's pretty good. What is your greatest fear?
1: Um... my 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 greatest fear would would it's funny i don't have one i don't have a a th- like heights or dying or being physically incapacitated or whatever all of which would be appropriate and could be on the list but i don't ever think about those things I don't. I don't ever. And it's not that I'm trying to live put my head in the sand or live Pollyanna or or live unrealistically. I think a lot about death. I Think a lot about dying and what it means and what it is. Um, but I'm not scared of it. And I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not. What? Any, ask anybody who knew me when I was young, and they'll always say the thing about me was that I always was fearless. Mm. And it can come back to haunt me too. That's that sort of. It's it's not always great to not have yeah. a level of proper respect or fear or however you want to you want to do it. But I, I would have to manufacture an answer for you on that.
0: You're into transcendental meditation, right? I am. How do you think that's changed your attitude to death and fear in general?
1: Well, what really changed it, and this is a story that earlier in my career, I probably wouldn't have told anybody because I would be worried that people think I'm, you know, a woo-woo Shirley MacLaine type. By the way, I love Shirley MacLaine. I think she's a genius. Oh, yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. I do. But my, one of my best friends was an actor named Bill Paxton. Of course. You know, and, you know... Apollo 13, Titanic, Brilliant.
0: Twister. Mm. Brilliant.
1: He was truly one of my best friends, and he died unexpectedly.
0: Day before the Oscars, I remember.
1: Day before the Oscars. He would he would have loved that part of it. Um, you
0: think? I like he that. He
1: would have said, God damn, are they going to get time to put me in the immemorium?"
0: <laughs> that uh, was so good. That's what he would have said. For
1: yeah. 100% sure that's what he would have said. Um. So... You know, it was super devastating for me. Um, he came to me in a dream. And I know, you know, I know, I know that I know the difference between a, a dream and a vivid dream, right? And in the dream, I was like, oh my God, Bill doesn't know he's dead. This is so sad. He doesn't know. He's like, hey, buddy, how are you? I'm like, am I going to tell him? I'm not going to be the one to tell him. And he kept saying, I've been going back and forth. I've been so busy. And he took me. And he took me there, to wherever there is. And I and I'm, I'm telling you, I went. I'm, t- I'm just telling you. You can, th- you can think what you think of the story. No, I
0: believe it. I Tell absolutely
1: me. went, and it was. I had to say, it looked a little bit like an Avatar world. A little, it definitely looked like James Cameron might have had his. And you know, it looked a little bit like Fern Gully, sort of way of water Avatar worldy. But you're flying, and you're you. But you have no physical body but you're you, you're thinking, you're cognizant, you're you, and and you're, I was immediately filled with a level of love, the kind that I could only, I, I was weeping, weeping with love. The only thing I can compare it to is maybe the first time you look into the eyes of your newborn child, maybe, maybe, but if you felt anything like that, put it on steroids. Right. And that's what it f- felt like. And that, what you realize, is the baseline. That's not like you're having a good moment up there. That's like, the, that's what it is all the time. And y- you're just overwhelmed. And then I got sad because I realized, oh, I'm not with my my wife, Cheryl, and my kids. And I, And then Bill said, no, no, no. They're already here because you're already here because there is no time and time is not linear. And then what I realize is up there, you can be anywhere at any time and be with anybody at any time, but you're not really with them in the way we think of them. Where it, it, it Here's what it feels like. It feels like when you're super contented with somebody on a long drive, somebody that you love, love deeply, and you're super contented and you're just together. You're there, but because you're not doing the stuff. The reason we come to, to this realm is is to talk and fight and be scared and jealous and you know laugh and cry. That's why we're here to do that. You don't do that there. You're you just are.
0: What you're talking about is um, does that make any sense? It absolutely, Do I sound
1: like a crazy person? No,
0: it absolutely makes sense and I was talking about this just this past weekend with a couple of friends about higher consciousness and purpose in life and the kind of pure love and joy that exists outside of ego and how you know Eckhart Tolle always says there's two of you and the higher consciousness lives in the place you just talked about.
1: It was um I've only had one or two d- we call them dreams, I, one or two things like that in in my life. And it was, it, it, just, it just, it absolutely 100% happened. 100% my buddy came in and was like, you know.
0: That's such a good story, I love yeah. it. Great experience that you mm-hmm. had that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's your idea of misery?
1: Ooh, well that's easy. <sighs> Anything having to do with assembling something with directions? Ikea. <laughs> yes. My, I, I'm trying to coin the phrase, I have an Ikea complex.
0: Can I borrow that, please? It, but it, I, think,
1: I think a lot of people do. Like,
0: oh. Like, I yeah. break out
1: in shingles when I pass an <laughs> Ikea. It's like, don't ask me to put the lug nut into the wrench nut into the seventh slot of the fifth framus that holds up the shelf of the... Third, I'm 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 not that I'm not that I have other talents, um, so that is a real that's that's misery for me. But the, the number one number one all timer for me is boredom. Mm. I mm. hate it. I want to leap out of my own skin, and uh, boredom can manifest itself in a hundred different ways
0: what is your most treasured possession
1: Ooh, well my dogs for sure right but they're not really possessions
0: hard to say right somewhere in between family and possession I'm not sure
1: I know I mean
0: what about a thing
1: um and in the, 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 the two things. Well, I was thinking. Okay, so if there's a God forbid, there's a fire and you can only grab one thing. Don't you think that's a good way to get to the answer? Yeah. Right. So totally. if that's if that's the litmus test, hmm. um, above and beyond the the animals, it would be my original Annie Leibovitz photo that she took for the Vanity Fair cover of my of my boys and I shirtless mm-hmm. standing in her backyard. And my handwritten manuscripts for both of my books.
0: Those are great answers. You wrote it by hand? Yeah,
1: I'm old school. I wrote them. They're on legal pads. It's all handwritten on legal pads.
0: Oh, I I, I could not because of the editing. It would be just all red pen.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. I don't. It comes to me more fully formed. The not. And it's not saying I didn't edit, I, and I did. No,
0: but that's so. But it's, your story, your narrative is already there.
1: Yeah, yeah. There wasn't. There was not a ton of editing. If you were to look, it's just fun to have it, you could look at it and see it. It's pretty much the book.
0: That's awesome. You got to do more. Are you going to write more?
1: I, uh, you know, it's the, what is the great Mark Twain quote? I hate writing, but I love having written.
0: Right. <laughs> Lonely writing, isn't it?
1: But so satisfying.
0: Mm, when you've written it. Yeah, and, and
1: sometimes when you're doing it.
0: You get in that uh, flow head state. I talked about that with uh, Cheryl Strade. Do you know who that oh, is? Of course. We talked about flow states.
1: Flow states is a big thing that um, somebody described writing as you go and you sit down at the desk and you open the drawer. And some days the drawer's f- f- got the story in it. Mm. And other days you open the drawer and it's, the story isn't in there. But you got to sit at the desk, and you got to yeah. open the drawer. Put in the hours. That's the thing.
0: What was the first movie you saw in the theater?
1: It was. I remember the first three movies I remember of my childhood are the Aristocats.
0: Oh, I went to see that in the theater,
1: and I was in love with the cat with the purple eyes. My first crush was the female Aristocat with the purple eyes.
0: Was she a Persian cat? She was with a white Persian. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm. And she
1: and she Zsa Zsa Gabor was the voice. Oh,
0: legend.
1: Um, <laughs> I remember that. I remember Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. But the first movie, movie, movie that I remember was, and I saw it in the theaters, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh. So I got to see it in the theaters and I remember it like it was yesterday.
0: I love that. Yeah. Well, raindrops keep falling on my head. Ugh. That's the song sequence when they're falling in love, isn't it?
1: They stop the entire movie. Headed into the third act to do a montage of him riding a bike around while that song plays.
0: You simply
1: would never do that today. It's so bold. It's so good.
0: (laughs) It works. I love it.
1: Oh, that movie is heaven on earth. I've seen it 150 times.
0: I now want to go and watch it again.
1: And nobody better than Newman in it. That is it. You want to see what a movie star is like? That's it. Newman and Mm. Butch Casting, The Sundance Kid, or The Sting, for me, that's it. I mean, and Al in The Godfathers. Oh. But, but I'm never, I, I can't do what Al does. But I might be able to at least imitate Paul.
0: Why can't you do what Al does? He's got, yeah, he's Al, man. He's got that whole. <laughs> it has to be him, I guess. Yeah. That's what you mean. Yeah. What's the trait you most dislike in yourself?
1: Um, irritability.
0: Mm.
1: Um irritability judgment, and that that goes away when I'm meditating properly um, when i've and when I'm not overextended mm-hmm. because I am always fearing boredom and naturally curious and have a big work ethic and like to work I'm always on the run and enjoying it but when I get drained I get irritable
0: is there anything big in your life that you wished you'd done
1: no that's nothing I don't I, I have I have no I have no regrets there's stuff I'd still like to do I'd like to I've directed a couple of times and, mm. I, and I found that to be other than writing a book and they're really similar um, the most fulfilling use of what I have to offer um, but it has to be something that I have a, have an ownership over. Like a director for hire doesn't interest me, or you know, I, I, it'd have to be something that I'm on the ground for, of doing. And, and the the time suck of it and the economics of it at this point in my life don't really make sense. But like as I get older, maybe I'll work on my golf game and my directing.
0: Is there a talent you wish you had?
1: Yeah, I wish I could play. I wish I could play guitar, play piano.
0: Oh God, me too. Yeah, John
1: Owen's a great pianist.
0: Really? Yep.
1: He's a f- good fake flute player. If you see unstable. Well,
0: I did see that. Yeah.
1: I was like, "Hey, kid, check out my saxophone and say 'I'm an almost fire.'" <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll have a fake music. I, playing. I
0: believed it. Well, obviously, I, I mm-hmm. you know believed That's, it in the moment. Yes, exactly. But I'm assuming you can't play saxophone.
1: No, I did fake play it once for Bill Clinton and he he thought it was real.
0: Right, I remember and, that. Tell and then I that.
1: yeah, that's a big the big sort of closing story of my one-man show. I talk about this where David Foster, the great music producer who produced Saint Almost Fire soundtrack had me fake play it while a real guy stood behind a curtain and and it That's went really well and everybody thought it was real and Clinton thought it was real and then I was embarrassed because I felt like he might think that I was pulling a joke over on him when I wasn't and it became a, like a total shame spiral involving the president of the United States and it was, it was kind of a mess. But um, but yes, and Quincy Jones was there. By the way, and Quincy Jones was a foot from the horn of the f- fucking saxophone. There's no air coming out of it. No sound, no Did air, and Quincy Jones is going, you blow,
0: Rob Lowe, you blow.
1: I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've dug myself into a huge hole here.
0: Yeah, but you've told the truth about it so many times after the fact <laughs> that it's okay.
1: I should have maybe, should I have just taken the saxophone out of my mouth while the, the sound was being played? But see, I think that's even lamer. Uh, uh, it's hard have to Have the know. courage of your convictions. Have the courage of your convictions. I
0: mean, you're an actor, so it was okay to act in that moment, right? You're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. You have been married to Cheryl for 31 years? 32. It'll be 32 this year, yeah. Wow. What have you learned? Are there key things we should all know about how to get it right?
1: Pick the right person. I mean, really... Easier said than done. Easier said than done, but everything after that is inconsequential, really. I mean, you know, it's the right person because the world comes at you fast and there's... The fact that she and I have the same worldview on 99.9999 things, like if you have a different worldview on discipline or money or... You name it. I don't know. God bless people. I don't know how they do it. I mean, we have a, a difference of opinion on comedy. That's it.
0: What's the difference?
1: In my humble opinion, and I love her to death, she has no comic taste, and I do. <laughs> um, that, 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 Cheryl, that, if
0: you're listening, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but everything else.
1: <laughs> everything else.
0: Um, what does she watch? Are we not allowed to say Oh, that? my
1: God. First of all, any, anything where people are wearing a corset. Okay. She will she will watch. So she loves her period pieces. Um what else does she watch? Almost, I mean she's a very specific consumer of television.
0: Reality shows?
1: Not really. She's not okay. one of the that would for for me be a bridge too far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen. I, I like if she were binging The Bachelor the minute it we're on and having those kind of parties, and listen, I'm the idiot that doesn't get it. I mean, I know everybody oh, else no, I is, don't get it either. But, but like that, I could, I-, I
0: Love is blind? Why? I, Why are we doing this? See, it's making me sad.
1: I, and, and people who I respect profoundly love that oh, stuff. Oh, me
0: too. I know brilliantly clever, witty, genius people who love it. It's switching off. It's a chocolate cake of a television yeah, show. Yeah, I can't do it. It depresses me.
1: I can't but I I'm at a point where I'm consu- I'm consuming very little um uh at the moment of of any of that. I'm I'm re- and I think it's just because I'm I'm on a set so much mm. and that that I want to be a- away from it in in the the free time that I have and I want to just be thinking and I mean I sound really boring. I sound like I sound like <laughs> John Lennon in his dotage.
0: Trust me, you have not Remotely boring.
1: I've tuned out. I've tuned out and tuned up. I'm not that guy. I really, really am not. But like I'm, you know, sure I'll be like, oh, the new episode of such and such is on, and I'm at the fire pit having a scar.
0: That's not boring. That's that's, that's what kind I'm of doing. Awesome. That's what's happening. All right. Thank you, Roblo, so much. This has been the most entertaining. I have had such a hard time not laughing.
1: You should have laughed.
0: I love a good laugh. Yeah, but it just obscures the sound of your voice if I'm laughing into a <laughs> microphone. So I've just been stuffing my fist in my mouth to shut myself thank up. Thank you. But thank you so much. What a fun chat this has been. Yeah. I really this, appreciate it. This
1: was super fun. I was glad to do it. Thanks for having me.
0: We'll have the metaphysical chat next time. Yes. In more depth.
1: Maybe I'll have more vivid dreams and have more information. Please.
0: That was fascinating. Yeah. Thank you for listening to 20 Questions on Deadline. For more episodes, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy.